Philippians again. The book of Philippians will be here for several weeks, Lord willing. A book about the epistle of joy. We've already looked at an overview from 30,000 feet of the, of the book of Philippians. Our desire is to be an encouragement to the church in this transition time that you have. And we are uh, looking forward to just continue to see what God is going to do in the days ahead. And we'll look back and say only God could have done it. That he'll receive the honor and the glory and the praise. Philippians chapter 1, we're going to look at three verses in this chapter that will be the text for the message. The prayer of the Apostle Paul for those at Philippi. I was judging some preaching for the South Carolina Association of Christian Schools. I uh, did it for about 15 years uh, down in Columbia, South Carolina. Even when I'd moved to North Carolina, I would still come back and judge the preaching of those young men, and I, it was just a, a blessing to my heart to participate in that. We had a young boy, uh, he was, this his first year, I think he was in the sixth or the seventh grade, and he had asked everybody to turn to the book of Philippians for his message. This was his first time to ever preach in front of a crowd of people, and um, I mean, his knees were knocking. I mean, you could see him, they, 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 he was using WD-40 on him, you know what, and uh, he said, um, the book of Philippians is written to those in the Philippines. And um, I'll never, brother, you didn't know that this book was written to the, those in the Philippines, brother Mike. Uh, it, I tell you, I did everything I could on that front row. My shoulders were shaking up and down. And I look back and a few other people were back there. To just, But uh, I hope that young man's preaching God's word somewhere right now to, today. And uh, we tried to do everything we could to try to encourage them to go on and preach God's word. Looking at verse 9, a prayer of the Apostle Paul. He said, in this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. She may approve things that are excellent. She may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ of the glory and praise of God. Here's a prayer that he's praying for their spiritual growth. And so I've entitled the message, The Necessity of Spiritual Growth. The reason I'm saying that is because I hear people sometimes say this, Pastor, I'm saved, but I'm not growing. Or I went for years and years and didn't grow spiritually. Or... Preacher, is it really necessary for me to grow spiritually? Can I tell you, on the basis of God's word, if we're saved, God wants us to grow, to become more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul has made that kind of a theme. This book, as you know, uh, he's writing t about 10 years later to the, to the church here at Philippi. This is after 10 years after Lydia got saved on the riverbank. It's about 10 years after the Philippian jailer came in and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And the jailer and his family and other people were saved and baptized in the beginning of this church. He's writing this, and I, what I like about the, the beginning chapter is you see the heart of the Apostle Paul for these people. He was thinking about them. 
Look, it says, verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I mean, he, he didn't just say, well, I, I, uh, I'm going on to the next ministry and I'm involved in the next ministry and I'm forgetting where those folks back over at Philippi. He thanked God upon every remembrance of them. He had them in his mind. Then he says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy and from your fellowship, the gospel from the first day until now. And then he says in verse 7, even it is meet or fitting for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart. So he had them in mind. He had them in heart. But he also had them in prayer. And by the way, that's the way we show real love to one another is when we pray for one another. He prayed for them. And this was a basis of, of what he did with other uh, letters to other churches as well. And I, I, you see that necessity of spiritual growth. One of the things that's helped me is to, to, to read the Bible. I was telling Brother Comfort yesterday at lunch that uh, I went through a, a very difficult time losing my wife also in ministry 13 years ago. Uh, September the 20th coming up will be 13 years. And I was pastoring down in Irmo, South Carolina, I cannot tell you that we don't call our wife the assistant pastor, but she was so heavily involved in that ministry. I mean, you know, six months before vacation Bible school, she's handing you, here's some ideas for vacation Bible school, and here's some take-home sheets for the kids, and all that kind of stuff, and just involved in all kinds of uh, discipleship for ladies and planning and all kinds of things. And then God took her home in his plan. By the way, he's in charge, and we're not. There's a throne in heaven, and that throne lets us know somebody sits on that throne is in charge. And uh, I preached a message here just a couple of weeks ago on when God says no and what we learn about God himself. But one of the things I did, I was challenged by a man. I want you to read the whole Bible in 30 days. I had resigned uh, as the pastor of a church where I had pastored for 10 years. And I took the next 30 days and I read through the entire Bible. And then I took the next three months and of those three months, I read through the New Testament once every month for the next three months. And people who looked at me, they, they could see in my face, the, uh, I mean, when I went through that time of losing my wife, we were married 36 and a half years, um, been involved in, 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 in several ministries, and as I, they observed me, they said, about four months after you left that church, this had been now about a year from her passing, we noticed a difference in you. <laughs> the difference was made by the word of God. The word of God. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, I'd like for you to turn there with me. We'll look at several scriptures today and... Write them down if you don't get to all of them and mark them if you can and go back and look at them. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, the last verse in the book of Second Peter. Here's a command. He says, but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. 
It's not an option. Spiritual growth is not an option for the believer. He says, I want you to grow. Grow spiritually. Matter of fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, he says this. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may, and here's the word, grow thereby. You're going to grow by your intake of God's word just like a baby does milk. And by the way, if a baby is not growing, we've had some children and some grandchildren. Now we've got 21 grandkids. One of them's birthday is today. And uh, we've already texted them today. Uh, happy birthday. 21 grandkids between us now and uh, three great-grands and seven children and their spouses. But when some of them were younger, they weren't growing properly. What did we do? We took them to the doctor. And if somebody is not growing spiritually, there's something that needs to get fixed if somebody's not growing spiritually. He says, you desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And he's praying in Philippians chapter 1 for their spiritual growth, just as he did in Philippians chapter 1, uh, or rather Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. By the way, if any of you say, Preacher, I, we'd sure like to pray for you. You pray some of these verses of Scripture for me. I would love it. I would greatly uh, love it and appreciate it. Ephesians chapter 1, he says, uh, I cease not, in verse 16 of chapter 1, to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Just as he had said he prayed for the folks at Philippi. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. He's, he's praying for them that they might grow in their relationship to Christ. He was concerned with their spiritual growth. Notice with me chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 14. He says, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole body, whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. He was concerned about their spiritual growth, that they would grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, uh, Paul was in prison now. He's bound in prison, but he's praying for these believers, and our emphasis right now is on the text in Philippians, he's praying for them, for their spiritual growth. I went to a, a conference several years ago. I was just, had just gotten saved. I got saved in 1971. This conference, I think, was held in 1974 in Atlanta. 
And we wore little buttons that had the first letter of this phrase on it. It said, please be patient with me. God is not finished with me yet. God is still working. By the way, I've been saved 52 years and he's still working. He's still wanting me to grow. You don't come to a place just because you're old that you need to quit growing. You don't come to a place because you say, well, I went to Bible college. I don't need to grow anymore. God still wants you to be growing. And he's, he's praying for these believers that they would be growing in their relationship with him. In Colossians chapter 1, he's also letting us know again, he, each one of these churches, he was concerned with their spiritual growth. Look at verse 9. Chapter 1 of Colossians. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. She might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. He's concerned about their progress spiritually. Matter of fact, Paul told Timothy in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, he says in verse 15, he says, meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. When he says that thy profiting may appear to all, he says, I want other people to be able to see that you're making progress spiritually. It may be different for different people. Some people grow at different rates than other people do. But there needs to be some kind of progress to become more like Jesus Christ. Paul was concerned about the believers at Philippi. They were having some arguments there. You remember the two ladies in chapter 4 and verse 2 were arguing over something. And they were having some false teachers that were coming in, all kinds of difficulties he was trying to address. They were a good church, but they still needed to grow spiritually. He was concerned about their further spiritual growth. We notice that a lot of times our prayer requests that are given, uh, this is um, 1982 is when I went to Houston to start a church. So it's been a, a couple of years now, 41 years since I went to Houston. A lot of prayer requests are about physical problems. And we ought to pray for physical problems. We pray for one another's physical problems. But did you know that we need to have a lot more prayer requests about people's spiritual life as well? About their own, your, your own spiritual growth and about somebody else's spiritual growth. With those grandchildren, we, uh, we've been greatly concerned. There's some of them walking with God, some of them not walking with God, some of them need to be saved as adults, some of them don't, are already saved and need to be encouraged to go on for Christ. But when we pray for them, we do pray if they have a, a health issue, but we need to be praying for their spiritual growth, that they are, if they're not saved, they'd come to know Christ. If they are saved, that they'd be growing in Christ. And Paul is concerned with these believers growing in the Lord. As a child, don't you remember the little songs that we sang in, in uh, Sunday school and Bible school? Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. 
You say, well, that's just for kids. No, it's for adults too. We need to be feasting on God's word and getting to know what God has to say and we begin to continue to grow. I don't care if you've been saved 50 or 60 years, still growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Read your Bible and pray. Are you growing in your time in the word? We take the word in in five different ways. We hear it. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We read it. We read God's word and thank God we have a copy of God's word to be able to read. Matter of fact, we've got several of them around the house. But if we're not careful, it'll go neglected. We read God's word. We study God's word. We do more than just read it. We may be underlining it. This Bible right here, I've had for years, this is electrical tape that I've got on the outside of this Bible. I did not buy this electrical tape in a bookstore. I mean, this didn't come with... This is to keep this Bible together because I've got so many things marked in here. I don't want to start another one now. But we, we study the word, cross-references, the notes at the bottom of your old Schofield Bible are not inspired of God, but boy, they've helped many of us to grow. And then we not only study it, but we memorize it. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119, verses 9 and 11. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Then verse 11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We hide God's word in our heart and we memorize it and then we meditate upon the scripture. Joshua 1, 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. We meditate, mulling over the scriptures until it affects our life. So the five ways to take our, the scriptures into us, and we need to be growing in that not just, not just coming to church. That's important. Hearing God's word at church is important. But we need to be reading it, studying it, memorizing it, meditating upon it. And then we need to be spending time in, in prayer. We heard a message today in, in Sunday school class. Pastor Capel, good message, encouragement on, on prayer. It, it's, we know the necessity of it. We know about it, about his word. And we know that we ought to be praying. We know that if we do that, we're going to be growing. But Satan loves to get us distracted, doesn't he? Get us off base and try, think that something else is more important. I can't tell you the number of times that when I get up in the morning to pray, when I get up in the morning to think, I think of everything else I need to be doing. We need to pray. And then we need to fellowship. Tonight I'm going to be preaching on the subject, we are members one of another. We started a series last Sunday night on the one another's of Scripture and looked at the fact that overarching 16 times the term in the, in the Greek New Testament that is referred to as the one another's is referring to loving one another. And so we talked about the basis of that last week. And this week, we're going to look at the relationship of me and you being connected as members one of another.
And that fellowship, I can't tell you how that has meant so much to me in 52 years as a Christian of how people have exhorted me and encouraged me and prayed with me and sometimes confronted me lovingly, speaking the truth in love, have helped me to grow spiritually through fellowship. And then as I, as an early young Christian, just been saved in 1971, someone encouraged me the, the need to be telling others how they could be saved. Some of the first people I ever witnessed to was at Georgia Tech. The rambling wrecks of Georgia Tech over in Atlanta. And going in those dorm rooms and talking to young men about the gospel, and they were a lot of them were engineers. I was an engineer too, a civil engineer. And, and they, so they wanted, they wanted to say, can I see it? I, you show it to me. And I told them it's by faith. Believing that God would do what he says he will do. Put in your faith and trust in what he has said about himself and what he said we need to do to be saved. And when I began to start telling other people about Christ and seeing that God wanted every Christian to, uh, was born to reproduce and to tell other people about the Savior, God helped me to grow. I got back into book more. I began to pray more about my own walk with Christ, my own testimony before others, and praying for their soul as well. And then I knew the necessity of fellowship. And all of those put together helped me to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And still, we're not perfect. As Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, and we'll see in a few weeks, I've not attained yet. I've not arrived there yet, but I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So you and I, just as Paul prayed for them, need to be growing more and more like the Savior. Matter of fact, he said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, we looked at last week, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. What he's started in us, he's going to finish. He wants to take us to be more like Jesus. More like Jesus. In this particular text, Paul prays in verse 9, he said, And this I pray that your love may abound yet more in knowledge and in all judgment. He prayed for their love. Love is giving. We looked at that last week. For God so loved the world that he gave. Love is giving. And he wants us to grow, to be abounding increasing, overflowing in our love for God and love for others. And he was praying that that would be true. We looked last week, our text was John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you're my disciple, if you have love one to another. He wanted their love to continue to be growing. And by the way, he was showing his love for them in the prayer that he prayed. We love each other in prayer. He says, I'm praying that your love may abound yet more and more. He's praying for their spiritual growth in the area of love. Loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And loving others. We found last week, we mentioned Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 that says the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. 
In other words, God has given us now in our heart the capacity to love people that we never could love before. Some people are harder to love than others. Sometimes the preacher is harder to love. But God has given us a command. It's not an option to love one another. And he says, I want you that your love may abound. And I'm praying that that's going to be true in your life. In the list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, the very first thing in the list is love. And here he's praying that your love may abound yet more and more. Your love for God and your love for one another. And my prayer for you and for me is that our love may abound more and more. Are people seeing the progress that we have in our love for God? Is it increasing? He says that it may abound more and more, increasing, overflowing. By the way, love is a decision. We need to decide to love. Love is a decision. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 1 and 2, he says of Ephesians 5, he told those believers, Be therefore followers of God as dear children. Followers. People can tell you're following God. And walk in love. Walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And then verse 25 Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. And there's the love is giving, and he gave himself for it. He's praying that their love would abound and grow more and more. Choosing to love. Not based on the size or shape or the smell or the social status or the economic status of someone in front of you or their skin color. You just decide, I'm going to love you through Jesus Christ. And as as your love for God increases, so does your love for others increase as well. He said, I'm praying that your love may abound more and more. He also tells them here that he's praying that their love would abound more and more in in knowledge. Paul had said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. Philippians 3.10. He wasn't praying that he would know Jesus as his Savior. He said, I'm praying that I'll get to know him better. And he's praying that there Love would abound more and more in in knowledge, knowing God. G. Campbell Morgan, I love to read G. Campbell Morgan. G. Campbell Morgan, I love to read sermons that he preached. And, And when you read him, you realize that before he would ever preach on a book of the Bible, he read that book 50 times before he preached the first message. G. Campbell Morgan talked about knowledge of God. He says, what we do in crisis 
depends on whether we see the difficulties in life in the light of God or we see God in the shadow of the difficulties. When you get to know God, you realize he's in the midst of it all. Job realized that, that God was in charge of all of it. Even the loss of his children, Job understood it. And he said in Job 42 and verse 5, he said, I've heard of thee with the hearing of the ear, but now my eye seeth thee. He saw God up close because he was dependent upon the God he was getting to know. So Paul prayed, I'm praying that your love would abound in knowledge as you get to know God better. That you increase. As a matter of fact, he prayed for those in Ephesus and those in Colossae. He prayed the same for them also that they would grow in knowledge as well. Are you growing in your knowledge of God? I had written up some things. I gave it to uh, Pastor Diedrich, I don't know, two years ago maybe. Biblical observations on grief. Realizing that no matter what God brings, he's doing it to draw us to God dependency. And I encouraged him about a book, Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy. He said, I already have it. I said, that's exactly what God is doing in the midst of difficulties in our life. He's driving us to God dependency, to the God we know. Do you know him? Is he that kind of God? That kind of God that can be trusted? He's praying for their knowledge of God. That knowledge of God is tied to truth and obedience. How many times have we heard people say, sitting across the desk from the pastor, Pastor, I know what the Bible says, but... And when they say that word, that means I know what I'm supposed to do. I know about God, but I'm not going to be obedient. God gives us the grace in every decision we make be able to know God, trust him, that he knows what is best, that he's doing all things for our good and for his glory. Do you know him? Paul prayed that these believers would grow in their knowledge, in their knowledge of God. And then he says, I'm praying that they might, their love might abound more and more, not only in knowledge, but in all judgment. This this carries the idea of being discerning, that I would be able to pick what is really right and wrong, and not only right and wrong, but what is best, what is best for me. In all judgment. The idea is having God's insight, seeing things from a biblical perspective, Having wisdom, wisdom is being able to take God's word and apply it to life's circumstances. And he's praying that they would abound more and more in not only in knowledge, but in all judgment or discernment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 
It says there in that passage of scripture, it speaks about this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says in verse 21, prove all things, put it to the test. Hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. I mean, be discerning. Taking God's word and saying, I know what God says, and there are certain things I need to stay away from. These are certain, there are certain things I need to hold fast to. Certain things I need to continue if I'm going to grow spiritually. And he says, I'm praying that you would be able to have in all judgment a discerning attitude inside a biblical perspective to be able to make life's choices. For James tells us that those that know what to do and don't do it, it says to him it's sin. So we find out what to do and what God wants to do and realize that his grace is sufficient. It's the energy to be able to do what he wants us to do. And Paul is praying that they would be able and their Christian life, a, a, a church now that is, is, is a pretty solid church. I want you to grow, abound in your love yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. And then verse 10, he says that you may approve Things that are excellent. Built on their love and their knowledge of God and the truth. He said, I want you to think biblically in such a way that you will make decisions about really what is worthwhile in life. Things that are important. I remember at Clemson, there was a guy I met. I witnessed to him as a grad student. This has been a long time ago. It's been 50 years ago. But I remember he was studying for a graduate project, the mating habits of fruit flies. And I thought, God, if you want me to give my life for something that's going to count for eternity, I don't know that I'm going to study the mating habits of fruit flies. The things that last forever are God. And his word in the souls of men. Those things will last forever. And he's saying, I'm praying that you may approve things that are excellent. You'll be able to make biblically right decisions on what is worthwhile in life. Finding the best way to show my love for God. How I can obey him. How I can grow in my relationship to him. Even making some hard decisions. Didn't say easy ones. Hard decisions. There's some relationships that people need to break off that are hard decisions. But there's certain people they are hanging around with, maybe even thinking that person's going to be their future mate and they know that really God's not approving of it. And a hard decision would help them to be able to, to grow spiritually again. They would be able to grow spiritually again. Say, I'm gonna, I want to make the best decision. I want to approve things that are excellent or really worthwhile. Holy thinking produces holy living. What's your priorities? God needs to be at the top. We pass by that Harmon Park coming from the Airbnb, and thank you so folks for 
taking such good care of us, putting up, up over there. But we pass by there, and there are people out there that today walking on that track out there. Walking is exercise is a good thing. We ought to exercise ourselves most of all to God, that's the Bible says. But did you know that some people are making a priority out of that exercise on Sunday morning instead of exercising here in God's house? We need to prove things that are excellent. What's the, what's the best decision that I need to make to be able to grow spiritually? What kind of habits of life do I maybe need to give up on? What things have I been viewing on a computer or a phone that I need to give up? Prove things that are excellent. There's a young lady saved in our church. Matter of fact, her daughter and son-in-law got saved, and uh, her husband met with me just before I left the church back in May. He was unsaved from Pennsylvania. And she told me, she said, Preacher, I've been listening to the preaching of God's word and I've been spending time in God's word. I've been doing the Bible studies that I need to be doing for Wednesday night. She said, I, I'm addicted to TikTok. She said, I, 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 I watch that on my phone. Do, I, I'm involved with that on my phone several hours where I could be reading God's word. And I said, you've got to make a decision. And I took her to this passage of scripture that you may approve things that are excellent. What is really worthwhile? What's worth living for? What are things that we ought to be practicing that's going to help us to grow spiritually? And Paul was praying for them that they may approve things that are excellent or worthwhile. Not just the good, but what's the best? Am I fully committed Am I all in? What's most important? Or what am I doing that might cause somebody else to stumble? My mom, she died in 2004 in a nursing home down in Somerville, South Carolina. My dad got saved at age 51. I'll tell you the story sometime. Uh, I got saved in January of 1971, my dad got saved at the age of 51. He worked for the Polaris Missile Program. And uh, he trusted Christ as his Savior. Man, I tell you, the hallelujahs were coming out when daddy got saved. But my mom, she was trying to reach a lady behind us that lived in a house behind us over the other side of the chain link fence. It was people that They went to the dirt track races on Saturday night and they asked me to jump the fence and babysit the boys over there every Saturday night. I mean, that's the way I made some money back as a teenager. Mama was trying to pray for and reach. His nickname was Goose. Goose and, and uh, praying for Goose to be saved. Miss Rosa's wife told my mama one day, she said, uh, I noticed something over at your house last Sunday that kind of disturbed me. You hung your clothes out on Sunday on a clothesline. Mama didn't see anything wrong. She wasn't 
doing anything wrong to hang them towels out on the sheets on the clothesline. But can I tell you something? The rest of the time, there were no sheets or towels ever hung out on a Sunday on that clothesline because that was an offense to that lady they were trying to reach for Jesus Christ. A few years ago, I got a phone call. I'm 72 years old. It would have been probably 12, 13 years ago. I got a phone call. It was from my sister. Goose and Miss Rosa got saved. They trusted Jesus as Savior. And I thought about my mama making a discerning decision. Hanging out clothes on a Sunday on the clothesline. But she knew that that was causing that lady to stumble. What are you doing that you know is causing somebody else to stumble? He said, I'm praying that you might approve things that are excellent. Be a discerning Christian. Church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 4 will not turn there. But you know the story. I mean, he, he commends them for their labor and what they were doing right and being discerning. But then he says, I have somewhat against thee. Thou hast left. They didn't lose it. They left their first love. Their, their love for Jesus had grown cold. And as the love of Christ grows cold, the Bible tells us, that is the love of more and more will we see abounding of people falling away. We'll drop our guard on being a discerning Christian as we see around us the love of many growing cold. My uh, boys, mama never liked to let them box. They didn't like boxing and so we had to do this in secret. Um, so we got boxing gloves, and, and one of them was wearing braces. You know, you had to kind of guard them braces. We were homeschooling, and, you know, they're sheltered kids, and, and uh, they need to box a little more often, I can tell you. And anyway, so we went out there, and, I mean, they slugged it out with each other. And uh, I remember Matthew, he's an accountant now, CPA accountant, but he got tired. And what did he do? He dropped his gloves. And when Gene dropped his gloves, John knocked his block off. Did you know spiritually, if we're not discerning and we drop our gloves, Satan has a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may. That's why Paul is praying that you may approve things that are excellent. Then he says that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. That you might have integrity, that you might have character. And their love as it was growing and abounding, as they were making decisions about really what was important, that now they would practice Integrity. The words used here uh, refer to finding whether a coin was genuine or not. 
But also it refers to the fact that they, when they made pottery, that some of the pottery had cracks in it and they would fill it with wax. And you could not really tell it unless you, two ways you could find it. One, you could hold it up to the sunlight. Put it in the light, you can find out whether there was a crack in that pottery. Or you could put a hot liquid in it, it would melt the wax and leak out. It says, is it, is it sincere and without offense? Is our life a life of integrity? A life of character? Character is what we do when nobody's watching. What we do in the dark is what character is about. In Acts 24, 16, Paul says, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. He kept short accounts not only with his God but with other people. He says, I'm, I'm exercising. Sounds like work to me. I'm exercising myself to have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. A sincere walk with Christ. One that is genuine without offense. And then he says in verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness that is going to show forth works we're not saved by works. We know that from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But the next verse says we were created to be his workmanship. We were created for good works. And our life needs to show it. If we're grow, We ought to be growing if we're saved. And other people ought to be able to notice a change in our life. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I pastored in Houston for eight years, and, and a little girl came up one day in, in vacation Bible school, and she says, I want to say my verse. And she says, she says uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new critter. <laughs> I became a new critter. We're new creatures in Jesus Christ when we're saved. Spurgeon said this. If the grace you have received has not changed your life, it has not changed your destiny. He's not saying we're saved by our works. But he said that salvation, just like Paul is praying for them about just like the, what's begun in them will continue till the day of Jesus Christ. What he starts, he finishes. He said people are going to see a change in your life if you're genuinely saved. Then lastly, he says it's for the glory of God. Unto the glory and praise of God. As we are growing as Christians, he's praying for that. Our God is glorified. Our God looks good when we grow spiritually. He's the one doing the work. We were created, Isaiah 43 and verse 7 says, 
even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him. Yea, I have created him. I, I love to look at the text through scripture when God talks about the importance of us knowing that we were created by God. For in the schools where they teach evolution, you don't have to answer to a God if you've evolved. But if he created you, he has authority over us. Ownership over us. And we were created for his glory. Spiritual growth has five aspects here. Exalting God's glory. Producing fruit or good works. It has integrity. Sincere and without offense. Excellence that we would make decisions that are really what's really worthwhile in life. And that we would be abounding overall in our love for God and our love for one another. Let me ask you today, are you growing as a Christian? If not, why not? What do you need to do, start doing now, if you're not growing spiritually? Intake of the word. Read your Bible. Pray every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. You may be here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus as my Savior. Maybe you're not 100% sure of your salvation. We would love, after this service is over, I'd love to talk to you and take a Bible and show you from the Bible how you could be saved and know it today. If you're not growing spiritually, we would love to encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ. For saved people are growing people in Jesus. There's no option to it. He is praying for their spiritual growth. Praying for their growth. In Philippians chapter 1, the one that began a good work in you, he said, I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and all judgment. You may approve things that are excellent, that you might be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise. Spiritual growth is not optional. Let's bow for prayer. Father, I pray today that we would see the heart of the Apostle Paul. He had them in his head, in his remembrance of them. He had them in his heart as he was praying for them. And then, Lord, he showed that he really loved them by the prayer for their spiritual growth. Help us to love one another by praying for others' spiritual growth and making sure that we're growing spiritually as well. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.